Welcome to this Alan and Avery podcast. My name is Jonathan Benson, and I'm a senior associate in our international trade and regulatory practice. As you will know, as matters stand, the UK will leave the European Union at 11pm GMT on the 29th of March 2019. If the UK leaves the EU without an agreement in place, it will default onto WTO rules in respect of its trading relationship with the EU's remaining member states. The UK's trading relationship with certain third countries, with whom it currently enjoys preferential trading rights by virtue of its membership of the EU, will also default onto WTO terms. Even if Prime Minister May's withdrawal agreement with the EU is agreed by the UK's Parliament and comes into force, WTO rules may still be important to the UK's future trading relationship with the EU. This is because, if at the end of the transition period provided by the withdrawal agreement, the UK and the EU have not agreed the terms of their relationship, that relationship will, in certain respects, again default to the terms of WTO rules. So, the purpose of this podcast is to briefly explain what trading under WTO rules would entail, particularly in the context of UK-EU trade. What then are the WTO rules? The WTO refers to the World Trade Organisation, of which nearly all the countries in the world are members. The WTO rules are the WTO agreements negotiated and signed between countries that determine how trade is to be conducted between them in the absence of any other more specific agreements being reached. The trade rules set by the WTO differ depending on whether the trade concerns goods or services. Broadly speaking, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, or the GATT, deals with trade in goods, and the General Agreement on Trade in Services, or the GATS, deals, as the name suggests, with trade in services. The trading regime created by these agreements is based on certain key principles, the most important of which are two principles of non-discrimination, the most favoured nation, or MFN, principle, and the principle of national treatment. Turning first to the MFN principle, Article 1 of the GATT provides that members cannot discriminate between WTO trading partners and must apply the same non-preferential MFN tariffs to imports of like products, irrespective of their country of origin. This broad principle is subject to certain exceptions that allow, amongst other things, members to grant preferential trading terms to countries with whom they are in a customs union or have a free trade agreement. That is why, as a member of the EU and the single market, the UK has not been subject to WTO rules for trade with other EU member states. MFM principles also apply in respect of the GATS. Under the National Treatment Principle, a WTO member cannot apply its domestic tax and regulatory rules, including taxes, internal charges, laws and regulations and so on, in a manner that discriminates against like imported goods. In other words, imported goods and domestically produced goods should be treated equally when it comes to taxes and regulation. It is important to bear in mind at this point that everything takes a lot of time to agree at a WTA level due to the sheer number of countries involved and the negotiations are often protracted or stalled completely. As a result, the GATT and the GATS are, in certain key areas, somewhat out of date in the sense that they no longer cover all of the realities of modern cross-border trade. Notably, 
The GATT rules on services are not as liberalised as the GATT rules on trading goods. So the WTO rules for services, in particular, are unlikely to result in frictionless trade in the way that one might expect. Less liberalised in this context essentially means that the terms of trade between WTO members under the relevant rules are more restrictive. It is worth noting, however, that generally WTO members grant greater market access in practice than they have provided for in their WTO commitments. We will now look in more detail at the impact on the trade in goods of trading on WTO terms. If the UK leaves the EU without a deal on the 29th of March, it will be treated as a so-called third country under EU law. UK goods imported into the EU will therefore be subject to tariffs and have to comply with EU regulatory requirements and complete customs procedures. Similarly, goods from any of the remaining EU member states, the EU27, that are imported into the UK will also be subject to tariffs and in principle would be subject to customs procedures as well. EU tariffs on imported goods are generally low, around 5%, particularly for raw materials and so-called intermediate goods which are semi-finished and not a final product. There is, however, considerable variation across product areas. For example, speaking very generally, tariffs are around 10% on cars. Tariffs on fruit and vegetables range widely, but many have a tariff rate less than 15%. Tariffs on fish range from around 2% to as high as 22%, and at the top end, there are tariffs up to around 60% on certain tobacco products. Most favoured nation, that is MFN principles, under WTO rules, would have the effect of preventing the EU or the UK unilaterally reducing tariffs on imports between each other's territories, since the lower tariffs would also have to be applied, subject to certain limited exceptions, to all other WTO members' imports. Tariffs really only, though, represent the tip of the iceberg, since cross-border trade is also heavily impacted by non-tariff barriers, such as customs controls, health and safety regulations, technical standards, rules of origin, etc., all of which are beyond the scope of this podcast. HMRC estimates that if customs declarations were introduced between the UK and the EU27, there would be between £17 billion and £20 billion of administrative costs per year, of which only approximately £5 billion would be accounted for by tariffs. The validity of that estimate has been strongly challenged, but it is indicative of the possible costs arising from the increased red tape. HMRC also estimated that between 145,000 and 250,000 traders in the UK would need to make customs declarations for the first time. The UK is introducing new and upgraded custom systems to manage the vastly increased workload, but if the UK does leave the EU on the 29th of March without an agreement in place, the UK government has admitted that the border will be less than optimal. The National Audit Office has also reported that many of the necessary measures to cope with such a scenario may not be ready in time for the 29th of March. At a WTO level, there are measures such as the Technical Barriers to Trade Agreement and the Trade Facilitation Agreement that seek to smooth non-tariff barriers, but generally these are high level only. This is in contrast to the single market of the EU, where generally goods regulation is harmonised and the principle of mutual recognition allows goods that are lawfully marketed in one EU member state to be sold in another EU member state without having to conform to different technical standards. 
Having briefly introduced the issues in relation to goods, we will now look in more detail at the impact on trade and services. The EU single market has largely liberalised trade and services across the EU by granting individuals or companies the right to deliver services cross-border and to establish themselves or set up companies in another EU member state. The EU institutions have also put in place detailed rules to ensure the recognition of professional qualifications across EU member states. It is thus the most integrated market for cross-border trade in services that exists in the world, and the EU institutions continue to actively pursue further liberalisation. Liberalisation of services under the GATS at a WTO level is far less developed than the EU single market, and varies significantly by member, sector and mode of delivery and supply. Modes of delivery and supply are important concepts in international trade law, but are beyond the scope of this introductory podcast. The GATS largely codifies WTO members' commitments to open up their markets to cross-border trade in services across 12 broad sectors that cover almost all services. This is achieved by members giving market access and natural treatment commitments, although they can limit the extent of market liberalisation by inserting reservations. For example, market access can be limited in respect of the number of service suppliers or employees in a sector, the total value of transactions, the legal form of the service supplier, and the participation of foreign capital. Moreover, services supplied in the exercise of governmental authority, i.e. public services, automatically fall outside the scope of the GATS. There are also other carve-outs, such as measures necessary for prudential reasons. The detail of what is and is not liberalised is contained in each WTO member's schedule of commitments and limitations, which are complex and typically lengthy documents. Commitments can generally only be modified after negotiation with other affected countries. Practically speaking, as with other WTO members, the EU member states generally grant greater market access and national treatment conditions than are required by the GATS. The OECD Services Trade Restrictiveness Index, for example, indicates that EU member states have generally lower barriers to cross-border services trade than many other developed countries. Nonetheless, such restrictions are far higher than apply within the EU single market. Additionally, the UK faces the prospect of losing access to preferential EU trading agreements. The EU has entered into about 40 free trade agreements with around 70 countries to liberalise trade, including with South Korea, Canada, Singapore and most recently Japan. The agreements provide exporters with preferential access to the trading partners' markets including typically tariff-free access as well as increasingly measures to reduce the impact of non-tariff barriers. The UK government has indicated that trading arrangements with EU free trade agreement partner countries account for between 10-20% to of the UK's exports. The level will increase as some of the more recent and important FTAs enter into force. As I've touched on earlier, in principle, the UK will lose access to these preferential trading arrangements once the UK leaves the EU. Similarly, exporters in the relevant third countries will lose preferential access to the UK market. The loss of preferential trade access could harm UK exporters' ability to compete in the relevant overseas market, and therefore the UK government has expressed a desire to roll over the current EU trade agreements. This would, in theory, involve a copy and paste of the terms of the current agreements with appropriate technical changes. In practice, it may be difficult for the UK to quickly replicate the current set of EU free trade agreements, and to date, the government has made limited progress in ensuring the rollover of such agreements. 
Third countries may want to renegotiate all or part of the agreements that they entered into with the EU to reflect the differences between the UK and EU economies and divergences in trading relationships. They may also adopt a wait-and-see approach in order to understand the implications of a future trade agreement between the EU27 and the UK. What then can the UK and the EU27 do to mitigate the impact of trading on WTO rules in the absence of the withdrawal agreement being concluded or another form of overarching deal? Even if the UK exits the EU without an agreement, there is likely to be a common interest in avoiding the most damaging effects. There has been discussion about the UK and the EU27 entering into bare-bones agreements covering fundamental issues such as counter-terrorism, justice, data exchange, nuclear safeguards and aviation. It is possible that some accommodation could also be reached in respect of other important areas such as customs, provided that an approach that is WTO-compliant can be found. There is, though, very little time to put in place any such arrangements. The UK and the EU27 countries that are likely to be severely affected by Brexit are also increasingly implementing contingency plans. Both the EU and the UK have issued technical notices advising businesses on how to prepare for a no-deal Brexit. However, many businesses in both the UK and the EU27 could be severely affected by the sudden and far-reaching change caused by a hard Brexit, especially given the challenge in preparing for such a scenario. In conclusion, I hope this podcast has given you a flavour of what the post-Brexit trading landscape may look like, including some key differences between the UK's participation in the single market and trading on WTO rules if the EU and the UK do not agree the terms of the UK's departure from the Union. Although it may not be all doom and gloom for trade post-Brexit, simply trading on WTO rules may not be as straightforward or desirable as some commentators and political figures have suggested.